Thank you for joining us today for this life-changing message from River of Life. If you are ever in our area, we would love for you to join us. For more information, visit us at rolcrawfordville.com. That's rolcrawfordville.com. Or download our app in the App Store under ROL Crawfordville. Now, let's join Derek Gray as he teaches from the Word of God. All right, welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study here at River of Life. If you are visiting, we are going through a, uh, a short study in Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. Uh, we've entitled this the All Saints Ministry. And if you ask, well, what do you mean by that? Uh, we mean that we believe every, uh, every saint matters, every believer matters. Uh, we believe that every believer is gifted. And every believer should be equipped to do their part uh, to build up the body. Uh, tonight, we've, we're eight lessons in. Tonight, we come to lesson number nine, and I have entitled it. Tonight, we're going to look at, uh, basically, we've spent the last eight weeks looking at verse 11 for the most part. Uh, tonight, we're going to look at the final verses, 12 through 16. Um, and as I said, I've entitled it, The Body. Now, just as a real quick um, uh, recap, uh, we started this short study on a Sunday morning, uh, if you'll remember where we did an introduction, uh, lessons two through eight, we've, we've covered the five gifts, apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists, and then tonight we will finish up the uh, verses. Now, before basically what we're going to do tonight, we're going to walk down verses 12 through 16 and just cover them one by one and see what they say. Before I get to that, though, there are two things that I want to cover the first one is this. This is something that I've wanted to say for a few weeks, and I've just not had time uh, to fit it in. Uh, but, I, but I want you to understand, this, this model of ministry that we're going to be looking at tonight uh, is not something that Paul comes up with. It's actually modeled by Jesus himself. Uh, for example, if you go back to Mark chapter 3, it says, "...he appointed twelve, whom he named apostles." So that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach. In Mark chapter 6, you see that he does exactly that. He calls the twelve, he sends them out two by two and gives them authority over the unclean spirits. In Luke chapter 10, we see that he expands that from twelve to seventy-two. It says, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was to go. So Jesus comes to minister, and, and he doesn't just do all the teaching. He doesn't do all the preaching. He doesn't do all the ministering. He, he equips others to go and do that. Okay. In fact, not only teaching and preaching, but you'll notice in John chapter 4 that Jesus didn't even do any of the baptizing. And all the, all the stuff that happened in his three years, John says he never baptized anyone. He, 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 he equipped, he trained, he allowed his disciples to do that part of, of the ministry. Now you run on ahead up to Matthew 28 where you've got the, um, uh, the Great Commission, uh, which is obviously for his disciples and for us as well. He said, go make disciples of all nations, baptize them, teach them. In other words, he's passing it on, right? So what I want you to see tonight is Jesus modeled this type of ministry where we equip others. And the reasons for this are, I mean, they're obvious, right? First of all, perpetuation. 
one generation passes it to the next, which passes it to the next, which passes it to the next. If, if, if you know, we, we want to train people so that when we're gone, somebody else can step in and, and fill our shoes. Um, that's one reason. Another reason is what I call uh, multiplication versus addition. Think for a moment. And again, I'm just picking a number, but let's say Jesus could visit five villages in a week. You know, he's, he's got to walk everywhere. He can only do five. When he sends out the 72 in teams of two, that's 36. Those 36 can visit 180. So he goes from all, he can only do five, but those 36 teams of two can do 180. So it just greatly expands the people who hear the, the good news about the kingdom. Um, it just greatly expands the number of people that can be reached. We covered this earlier. When you depend on one person, that one person only has so much time, so much energy, so many gifts, and uh, you, you expand that into other people, it, it just makes so much more sense. And then, of course, there's the ownership. Um, I can tell you that when you, when you are doing the work of the Lord, when you are walking and you know you're doing what He's called you to do and you're making an eternal difference, there is an incredible um, uh, encouragement in that. There's an cr- incredible excitement in that, which, by the way, leads me to one of my favorite passages. When I was writing this down, I thought, well, I got to use this. In Luke chapter 10, 17 to 20, it says this, the 72 returned with joy. I mean, can you imagine you sent out by Jesus and even the demons are obeying what you tell them to do? They come back and they are hyped up, man. I can't even imagine how excited they are. And they said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And Jesus said to them, don't rejoice in that. Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. Let me tell you, if you're going to be excited tonight, if you're going to be encouraged tonight, if you're going to be, uh, if you're going to be uh, ready to go tonight, get, get excited about that, that your name's written in heaven. Good things are going to come and bad things are going to come, but my name is written in heaven. I just love that passage that they get so excited about the demons and he says, no, that's not what you need to be excited about. Be excited that you're in the book of life. So that's, I just wanted to throw that out. Again, it's been something I kind of wanted to fit into a lesson over the past few weeks and just haven't had time. Now, here's the important thing. We're going to talk about tonight equipping, and we've covered this passage week after week, and he gave the apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And I want to talk, before we get to that verse 12 and start talking about what it means, I want to, I want to look at the need for equipping, okay? So this is, a, this is the word right here, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And that word ministry just means serving or service, okay? Now, what I want to do is I want to back up a few verses. We're going to do a little Bible study here uh, for the next few minutes. I want to back up about eight verses to verses four through six, and I want you to listen to what Paul says. He says, there is one body and there's one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all, through all, and in all. Now, this is an incredible passage. He's showing, by the way, the unity of the Trinity, if you don't see it, one spirit, One Lord, that's Jesus, one God, or one Father. He's showing the unity of the gospel, one faith, one baptism, one hope, one way. And and, and, and we, we talked about this on Sunday. This is all about unity, right? 
And so we are part of something great. We are part of something much bigger than ourselves. But then notice what Paul says, but. But, see, what he, he doesn't want you to misunderstand something. See, we, if he doesn't add this next part, we might think, well, you know, we all need to be alike. We all need to look alike and dress alike and act alike because we're just part of this one thing. But Paul doesn't want us to think that at all. He wants to make sure you see the balance here. And this is what he says. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. He goes from talking about the one, the body, to talking about the individual. Because he wants to make sure there's a balance here. Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, folks, he's not talking about the grace of salvation. Did you see what he said? Notice, according to the measure. Listen, some of us are not more saved than other, others, right? Y'all understand that? You're saved or you're not saved. We're not, there's no measure here. He's not talking about the grace of salvation. He's talking about the grace that he's given you that enables you to serve the body. And he, he makes this really clear in Romans twelve six. He says, we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. So not only does he save you by grace, but he, he gives you gifts. So your personality, your experiences, your gifts, you bring them into the body. Yes, you're part of a bigger whole, but you are also an individual and you have a part to play. So each one of us is given grace to serve the body. By the way, it's not because you're good looking, not because you're somehow earned it, not somehow because you deserve it. It's according to the measure of Christ. He decides who he gives to what. Listen to 1 Corinthians twelve twenty-seven. He says, now you are the body of Christ but you are individually members of it. So we always have to keep those in balance. 1 Corinthians 12, 22 to 24, I'm going to read a little bit more about this. This is in the New Living Translation. He says, in fact, some parts of the body that seem the weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen, while the more honorable parts do not require this special care. So God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. Listen, folks, every body matters. Every part of the body matters. See, even we, there are certainly members of the body that seem more significant than others. But nobody gets left behind. Nobody. Everybody is designed to make a contribution. Everybody. Okay? And that's what Paul wants us to see, not only in Corinthians, but also in Ephesians. At the end of the day, Christ is the head, and he knows what's good for the body. So if he's brought you into this body, you are here for purpose and a reason. Okay? Nobody is, is, is to sit on the outside. Everybody is gifted in some way by God's grace, to serve in the body. So, we're one body. We're given grace as individual members to serve that body. Now, I want to put verse 7, 11, and 12 together. Paul says in verse 7, grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. That means each one of you are gifted in some way to serve the body. But then notice what he says. 
But he also gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints. Now, does everybody understand that each one of us in the saints are the same people? Right? So each one of us are gifted, yet each one of us needs to be equipped. Now, I want you to think about what that means for the church. That means that each of you is personally gifted by God to serve, yet you are not so gifted that you don't need fixing. Let me say it again. Each one of you, God has, has, or Christ has given you a measure of grace to serve in the body. He has given you gifts, yet not so perfectly that you don't need fixing. Now, you may say, well, where did I come up with that word fixing? Well, that's what the word equip means. The Greek word is katarizo, and it means to mend, to repair, to complete, to supply what's lacking. Let me show you a couple of scriptures that use it. Matthew 4.21. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in a boat with their father, mending their nets. That's the exact same word. If you've ever done any fishing, whether with, uh, with, with long line nets or cast nets, if you fish for a little while, your, you get, your, your net gets holes in it. You get them caught on oyster bars or whatever the case, you know, the, the, the little ties that hold it together break. And ever so often as a fisherman, you have to hang it up and you have to mend the holes. That's what that word means. To mend, to repair, to make whole, to supply what's lacking. 1 Thessalonians 3.10, Paul uses it here. He said this, As we pray most earnestly day and night that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. That's the exact same word as Paul uses in Ephesians for equip. Supply what's lacking in your faith. That's catarizo. So nobody can come into the church and say, You know what? I'm gifted by God. I don't need anybody else. Nobody can say that. We are all lacking in some measure, and every single one of us need to be improved. We need to be repaired. We need to be mended. None of us are perfect. We all, God may have given me a gift to do a certain thing, but somebody else needs to feed into my life. Somebody else needs to minister to me to supply what is lacking. I may be great at teaching, and I may be terrible at evangelism. I need somebody to help me with that. I need somebody to to fill in the holes of my life, as do each one of us here in this place. So here, I just love this because I want you to understand something. Paul's vision of the body of Christ is it needs a lot of work. And that should encourage us when we... Because sometimes, how many of you get discouraged sometimes when you see the state of the church? I know I do. Not just river of life, but just looking around and, and see some of the things that are going on. It's discouraging. But Paul says, look, guys, it's always been this way. Go read Romans. Go read Corinthians. Go read uh, Thessalonians. Go read Philippians. Paul was always trying to equip them, trying to mend them, trying to repair them, trying to, 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 to fill in the holes in their, in their lives. And, and it's still the same today. So that should discourage, I mean, that should help us when we get discouraged. All right. Just those two things I wanted to say before we move on. All right. Let's come to verse 12. And I'm just going to walk through 12 through 16. And I'm going to do it by just asking a few questions. The first one is this. How do we practically equip the saints? Okay. Um, we, we've looked at verse 11 and 12 for, for eight or nine weeks now. And he gave 
apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints. That word is katarizo, as we saw, to mend, to fill in the holes, to supply what's lacking. How do you practically do that? Well, one way you can do it, and I just did a really simple word study in the New Testament for that word. And it, it'll basically, just a simple word study will reveal four ways that saints can be prepared for service. The first way is through prayer. This is Hebrews 13, 20 to 21. The author of Hebrews here is praying. You can see the last word there is amen. So he's saying a prayer, and I want you to listen to what he says. He says, now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip, and there's that exact same word, katarizo, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So one of the things that we can do as leaders in the church, as a staff in the church, as members of the church, is we can pray that God would equip us with everything good to do his will. You see, a wise church recognizes that God is already committed to doing this, right? Did you know that Jesus said, if you ask anything according to my will, it'll be done? Ask anything according to my will. Can I tell you that it is his will to supply us, to equip us with everything good so that we can do his, his work? Would you doubt that that's, that's his will? See, we're, we are guaranteed an answer, but we have to ask. We have to pray for it. So that's the first thing we need to do is that we need to pray that God would equip us in our personal lives um, so that we can minister to others, but also as a church. The second way that we equip believers is uh, through preaching and teaching the Word of God. And this is 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17. All scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete. And there it is again, equipped, katarizo, for every good work. So somehow the word of God fills my holes. Some, or patches my holes, or mends the holes. He, he, the word of God can somehow find those places in my life where I'm lacking, and it can be used to fill those uh, in. The third way that we equip the saints is through training, Luke 6.40. Again, this is, this is all using the same word. Jesus said, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained, that's the exact same word, fully equipped when he is complete will be like his teacher. So one of the things that we need to do here is we need to make sure that teachers are training other teachers, that evangelists are training us to evangelize, so on and, and so forth. We need to make sure that we've got Bible studies, whether it's uh, uh, Membership 101 or whether it's Wednesday night Bible studies or whether it's in life groups. We need to make sure that we are training people uh, for the ministry. The fourth thing that we need to do is we need to, and listen closely, we absolutely have to emphasize relationships. 1 Corinthians 1.10, Paul says this, Now I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree, so he's not he's talking about all of us, that you all agree there be no divisions among you, that you be made complete. There's the exact same word. 
in the same mind and the same judgment. So there's something about being in a community of believers. There's something about ministering to one another that we're all heading toward the same mind. We're all heading toward the same judgment. We're, 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 we're moving with the same purpose that that equips us and makes us stronger. So that's something we certainly need to do here at River of Life is we have to put emphasis on relationships within the body. Not just small groups, that's certainly a good example, but also one-on-one as well. Because at the end of the day, listen, you can get filled with all this information, but if you don't walk out and start to put it into action, it's useless. This is where the act of ministry, this is where the act of serving occurs one-on-one. Now, he says, and Paul says, to equip the saints for the work of, uh, for, to equip the saints in verse 12 for the work of ministry or for the work of serving. Now, what is that? What is that? Well, basically what happens instead of a, a typical church where everybody comes in and, and lets the, the pastor minister to them, they now turn around and minister to one another. They become shepherds. They become teachers. They become evan- They become begin to do these things in small groups or in their in their little sphere where they are. They become ministers to one another. They become people who, instead of saying, "What can the church do for me?" they start saying, "What can I do for the church?" Or, or instead of saying, "What can the body do for me?" They become people who say, what can I do for the body? Let me give you, let me give you some real practical. I know Pastor Henry has preached on this several years ago. He mentioned it a few weeks back, but I just want to real quick show you the one another's. These are all, I, did you, I think this, are, I, I'm not 100% sure, but I think this one another's occur about 50 times in the New Testament. Let me give you a few of them. We all know this one, right? Love one another. And I, I listed a few of the passages there, but that's just, that's probably half of them. You are called to love one another, honor one another, greet one another, welcome one another, be hospitable to one another, fellowship with one another, agree with one another, live in harmony with one another, be at peace with one another, be kind to one another, forgive one another, bear with one another, bear the burdens of one another. Comfort one another, care for one another, confess your sins to one another, pray for one another, encourage one another, build up one another, exhort one another, instruct one another, teach one another, admonish one another, and it's still not done. Sing with one another, stir up one another to good works, do good to one another, serve one another, wash the feet of one another, wait for one another, be humble towards one another, still not done. Submit to one another. Speak truth to one another. Don't speak against one another. Do not judge one another. Don't provoke one another. And do not envy one another. Go right there and put them on your refrigerator. You want to know what to do? There they are, right there. That's all about relationships. That's all about one-on-one. That's about ministering to each other. There's, There's a, we can fill the rest of our lives doing those things. That's how we minister. That's how we serve, by doing those things. Now, I'm going to circle back to those in just a bit. But I'm on, I want to move on in verses 12 through 13. What, what is the goal of this? What do we achieve? If we really had a church <clears throat> where, the, where everybody's being equipped, in addition to the gifts they already have, everybody's finding their place, everybody's got something they're doing, and they're ministering to one another, serving one another, what is the result? 
Well, verse 11, I'm sorry, verses 12 and 13 tell us four things. Number one, it builds up the body. Let's read it. It says, to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. Okay? Now, let me say this. <clears throat> There's, we are all individualists. Okay? Every single one of us here is an individualist. Um, but the goal here is not to build you up personally. The goal here is to build up the body. It's not about the members. Now, certainly, we are to build up one another, but that's not what the goal is here. The goal, and, and, and it's sometimes hard for us to grasp, but the goal is to build up the whole body. Now, Romans 15, 2 says we should build each other up. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up, but that is not what verse 12 is talking about. Verse 12 says, I'm going to build up the body, and we'll come back to that in a minute. The second goal or the second result of this type of ministry is a unity of faith and a unity of knowledge. We see it in verse 13. It says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. The unity of the faith and a unity of knowledge of the Son of God. Listen, in any body like River of Life, you're going to have some members who have greater faith than other members, okay? Romans 14, I think it's Romans 14, verse 1 or 2 says this, welcome, uh, welcome even the weak believers, even those who are weak in their faith. So you're going to have people in the body who have strong faith. You're going to have some people in the body who have weak faith. You're going to have people in the body who have great knowledge about God and the things of God, and you're going to have people in the body who are still on the milk of the Word, they're not skilled in, in the Word of God. Do you understand as long as there are members of the body that are weak, the body can't be as strong as it should be? Does everybody get that? If you got a weak left arm, you know, or this is my left arm. If you got a weak left arm, <laughs> right, you, you may have two strong legs and you may have a, a strong mind and a strong back, but your body's never going to be what it can be because you got a weak left arm. Are you with me? The body as a whole can never be what it's meant to be as long as there's weakness. See, Paul wants the body strong. It's not about uh, just as long as you got a few members that are strong. No, he wants the body strong, which means, by the way, that we as the body need to, we, we can't leave anybody behind. We should be seeking out the weak and strengthening them. We should be finding them and ministering to them and, and bringing them to the point where they're not weak in faith and they're not weak in knowledge. And that's the purpose of, of things like we're doing here tonight and life groups and all the things that we do. But we can't just leave people behind because they're weak. No, those are the people we need to target because that's what's going to build the body up and make it strong. Now, why is this important? Well, the body, he tells us in verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, here's what Paul is doing. We all understand, again, not only are there members here that have greater faith than others, not only are there people here that have greater uh, knowledge than others, there's also people in the body that have, are more mature than others. But again, Paul's not talking here about individual people. He's talking about the body He's talking about Christ. You see, what Paul does is he pictures Christ as this mature man, full-grown in stature. 
And he sees the church as the body of this full-grown man. We talked about this a little bit this past Sunday. We are the body of Christ. And we are to equip the saints to minister to one another, to, to strengthen the body, mature the body, so that when the world looks at the body, they see the beauty of Jesus. We, we are what, see, they can't see him physically. What they see is us. They see his body. And what, are, what is the picture we're giving to them? Is it weak? Is it sick? Is it, is it fighting itself? Or is it strong and healthy where its members love one another and encourage one another and exhort one another and serve one another and, and put each other ahead of it? You know, look at the other person as they're more significant. What is the world seeing? See, Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. That doesn't just mean lift him up in Scripture. Well, certainly we should do that by preaching the Word. But that means lift him up in the body. That means making beautiful to the world. Are we doing that? See, folks, let me, can I just tell you, this is what church has always been about. It's what it's always been about. This is why Jesus said, take up your cross. Deny yourself. It's not about you. It's about the body. Put off your old self. John says, lay down, we ought to lay down our life for the brothers. Paul says in Ephesians 5, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. We are supposed to receive, he is supposed to move to the front. It's supposed to be about him. It's what church has always been about. It's what the Christian life has always been about. Presenting your bodies as a living sacrifice. Consider others more important than yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is nothing new. It's just living out in a body, in a church, what God has called us to be, what Christ has called us to be, what the apostles in Scripture have called us to be. Listen, this is not easy. Can we admit that we are born into this world absolutely devoted to ourselves? Would you all all agree with that? You know, I've, you've heard me say this before. I got five beautiful grandchildren, and they were so, they seemed so sweet. And then they started growing up, right? I was listening to uh, Vody Bauckham the other day on a message, and um, if you don't ever listen to Vody Bauckham, you ought to listen to Vody Bauckham. Um, and he was talking about the fact that, that babies can come into the world and they can't hold their head up. They can't sit up. Uh, you got to bathe them. You got to feed them. You got to wipe them. You got to do all that stuff. But somehow they let you know right out of the bat who's in charge. Right. He called them. Get ready for this. A viper in a diaper. <laughs> a viper in a diaper. Now, I like that. I'll never forget that one. But that's the point, right? You don't have to train kids to be selfish. You don't have to teach kids. to No, that's just, it's just in them. It's natural. So that's the way we all come into this world. It's all about me. What do I want? What do I think? What do I need? This idea of devoting our lives where we, we put ourselves back and we put others in the front in order to strengthen the body, folks, that is absolutely foreign to a natural man. Absolutely foreign to a natural man. There may be some of you sitting here tonight and you're like, I have, I have no idea what you're talking about. But let me tell you, if you're a child of God, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know exactly what I'm talking about. See, that is the life that Scripture calls us to. And it's going to cost you. 
Don't, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It costs you. It, ta- it means taking the things that you want and you need and your rights and your privileges and all of that and putting those behind and say, what can I do for the body? That is the life that he calls us to. We have to determine how we're going to respond. The fourth thing that it creates in us, this type of ministry, and we see this in verse 14, is discernment. Paul says this, so that, equip the body for the work of ministry, right? He goes on and says, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Listen, that right there is tremendously relevant in the world we live in today. You are constantly being bombarded, whether you know it or not. 2 Timothy 4.3, Paul told Timothy, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. They will not endure it. They won't sit under it. They don't want to have anything to do with it. But having itching ears, they accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. What we're doing tonight, less and less and less people will want anything to do with it. What we're doing tonight, teaching the Bible, sound doctrine, people will want less and less and less to have anything to do with it. You know, years ago, I think I was talking to Pastor Henry about this. I would, I used to really bother, something used to really bother me. I'd see these people that would give all their money to these TV preachers. And these TV preachers are living in mansions and they got multiple jet planes. And I just thought, what what is wrong with y'all, man? Why are y'all just giving your money to these people? And their doctrine is bad. I mean, everything is bad. And you're just giving. And I just thought, man, what's wrong with them? And then one day I read that verse right there and I realized, oh, they're doing exactly what they want to do. Those people aren't being deceived. They want what he's got. They're just as greedy as he is. They want to teach. He's rich. They want to be rich. And they, when he says, you do this and you'll get this, boy, it's tickling their ears. And they love it. They love it. They're not being deceived. See, that's what's happening more and more and more in our world. And, 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 and Paul told us that would happen. More, less and less people are going to want to hit, sit and hear sound doctrine. They're going to listen to people who will lead them astray. And they'll do it gladly. They'll do it willingly. The fact is, whether it's social media or television or politicians or whatever the case may be, you are every single day being urged to endorse wrong. Every day you're being urged to embrace error. Every single day. And they're doing it with very, very tricky ways. Very tricky ways. They'll use scripture. They'll use Christian, uh, Christianity. They'll use the name of Jesus because they want to trick you. They want to make you think this is right. So you need to be discerning. You need to be stable. You need to be mature. God does not want us to be children that can just be led away by the latest teaching, by the latest fad, by the latest uh, cultural thing. He, he doesn't want us to be like that. And it's happening all across America, all across America. People that you're just like, what what are y'all doing? How can you not see that? We've got to be better than that. And if we're going to build a church that's discerning and stable in this age, we're going to do it uh, by following the the biblical model of Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. So here we are. And I'll close with this. 
What have we learned tonight? Those with gifts equip the saints, apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists. The saints then turn around and minister to one another. That builds up the body. As the body is built up, it becomes more like Jesus. It thinks like Jesus. It acts like Jesus. It talks like Jesus. It looks like Jesus. And part of that is we become discerning. We become stable. There's one more question, though, that I didn't ask, that we haven't answered, and that is this. How do the saints practically build up the body? You remember I said earlier, I, I talked about love one another and all of those. I picked a few of those out, and I want you to look at them. We are called to minister to one another, and we do that, Paul says, in a lot of different ways. We comfort one another. We encourage one another. We build each other up. We exhort one another, instruct, teach, admonish, stir up. This all involves language, by the way. So how do I, how do I come alongside you and comfort you? How, how do I come alongside you and stir you up to good works? Do I just give you little platitudes? Do I just say, man, you're a great person? I know you got a lot wrong with you, but don't worry about that stuff. You know, you're, you're great, man. You can do, is that what we do? Do we, do we, do we, do we do it with self-help books? No. No. Folks, listen. We speak the truth in love. This is what Paul says in Ephesians 4 to 15. Rather, instead of being like children that just goes from one thing to the next and easily led, rather, we speak the truth in love and we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ. Speak the truth in love. Now, let me just say again what Paul's talking about. We should certainly not lie to one another. Okay? That, that's, that's scriptural. Ephesians 4.25. In fact, a few verses later, he'll say this. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. We shouldn't lie to one another. We should tell the truth. That's not what Paul's talking about. Paul's not talking about what he has in mind here is scriptural truth. He's talking about doctrinal truth. Now, how do I know that? Well, look at verses 14 and 15. He says, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, every wind of teaching. Rather, instead, speak the truth in love. He's talking about Scripture. He's talking about the Word of God. So when I want to encourage you and I want to comfort you or I want to build you up or I want to stir you up, I do that by speaking the Word of God into your life. Each one of us should be able to come along somebody and comfort them with the Word of God, encourage them with the Word of God, build them up with the Word of God, admonish them with the Word of God. We should, we, we should be skilled enough in the Word of God to be able to do that as part of our ministry. Now, I want to close with this one thing. Both knowledge of truth and love here are crucial. Okay, I want to show you this. In 1 Corinthians 8.1, uh, Paul says this, now concerning f food offered to idols, we know that everybody possesses knowledge, but knowledge puffs up, but love builds up, okay? Now, I, I, I won't cover this tonight. I'll encourage you to go read 1 Corinthians 8. The whole thing that that chapter is about is that in the town of Corinth, they had some uh, temples, Roman temples to Roman gods, to idols, and what they would do back in that day is they would sacrifice animals in these temples to these idols. And after the sacrifice was over, they'd take them to the market and they'd sell them. So there was a, there was a consternation in the body. People didn't know what to do. Is it okay to buy that meat? 
Is that backstrap okay? You know, it got offered to, to Zeus over there yesterday, but it, it's a good-looking backstrap, right? Is it okay to do that? And that's what Paul's talking about. And, and Paul says, he goes on and says, you know what? Idols are nothing. There's only one God. Meat offered to idols is nothing. And if you know that, man, go buy that backstrap and have a ball. But this is what he also says. But some people don't know that. Some people's conscience would be damaged if they bought that meat. And what he's saying is if you just rush into the situation and say, well, I know what's best for me. I'm just going to do whatever I think and, and don't consider your neighbor. He says, that's just, that's not, that's not love. Don't offend your brother. Don't put a stumbling block in your brother. It's, it's what we talked about, right? It's not what's best for me. It's what's best for him. And if, if not eating meat is best for him, then I won't eat meat. If not drinking alcohol is best for my brother so it won't put a stumbling block in front of him, then I'm not going to drink alcohol. It, it doesn't matter what the thing is. I'm not going to put a stumbling block in front of my brother because the body is more important than me. This is what we're called to. If you just go on knowledge, that's going to, I'll tell you where it's going to lead you. It's going to lead you to pride. It's going to lead you into legalism. It's going to lead you into a, a, a pietism, a lot, of, a lot of deadness, places you don't want to go. But let me tell you this, if you have love without knowledge, that's going to take you places you don't want to go either. See, love without knowledge, there's a lot of people out there, let's just love them. They don't need to change, just leave them in their sin. See, that's, that's immaturity, that's sentimentality, that's aimlessness. It's why Paul prays in Philippians 1.9, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with what? Knowledge and discernment. See, Paul says that you got to have them both in balance. Now, listen, I believe that one of the main reasons so many people are coming to River of Life is because we put an absolute priority and a premium on speaking truth. Okay? I believe that with all my heart. I believe God has honored that for 20-plus years, and if we'll keep doing it, he'll honor it for the next 20. There's no doubt in my mind. Okay, I believe that. I, I, I know Pastor Henry believes that. And that's what we're going to continue to do. No matter how hard, how dark it gets out there, we've got the North Star. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna keep trekking on, right? But I want you to listen to verse 16. And this is our last verse. Paul says, From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Listen, we need to make sure at River of Life that we're just as strong in love as we are in truth. That we're just as strong in loving one another as we are in telling the truth to one another. If we do those two things, which is the aim of this ministry, if we do those two things, let me tell you, we'll grow into the body that God wants us to be, and, and we, can't, we won't be able to build a, build a building big enough to keep the people out. And I've said it a hundred times, there is an opportunity coming. The darker it gets out there, the stronger that light's going to shine in here. And it's, people are going to come like moths to a flame. There's still people out there that want the truth. There's still people out there um, that, 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 that want integrity. There's still people out there that want something that's real. And we've got it. But we need to make Christ look beautiful. We need to make his body look beautiful. Let's pray. Father... Lord, we love you. 
Thank you for this study. Thank you for this word. Uh, thank you for just all you've done over the past few weeks. I know I have learned a tremendous amount and been convicted a tremendous lot about what I need to do in this body. And I pray that others here feel that same thing as well. Holy Spirit, we ask that you help us. I do tonight what I taught. I pray, I pray according to the will of Jesus, that you give us the gifts. You give us the grace. You equip us to love one another. You equip us to serve one another. Equip us to minister to one another. Lord, I ask that you do that. And I know everyone here will agree with me and say amen. And Father, if you do this, we I promise, as I always do, we will give you the glory for what you're going to do here at River of Life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to this message from River of Life. If this message has touched you today, or if you need someone to pray with, please contact us at 850-926-1200 or email us at info at rolcrawfordville.com. We also want to encourage you to visit us this Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. in Crawfordville. Please visit us online at rolcrawfordville.com for more information and directions.